Welcome back to the California Work Comp Report. It's Tuesday, November 1st, 2022. I'm your host, Corey Olson, here with Dr. John Alchemy. Today's topic is discussing PR4 reports with patients, an episode for the physicians. Let's see what Dr. John Alchemy has to say. Back again in the studio. Uh, here I am with Dr. John Alchemy. How are you doing, John? I'm back, Corey. How are you? <laughs> we're back in the saddle again. <laughs> today, today we're discussing, um, well, we are uh, explaining PR4 reports to injured workers and in the uh, concept that we're calling the gateway to settlement. And injured workers, as we've said before, are generally the last people in the claim to, or the, they're, they're the people in the claim that know the least about what's going on because basically it's everybody else's job in the claim, whereas the injured worker is sort of thrown into where they are. Um, and so there, there are certain things um, that are important for the worker to know, and that's what we're here to talk about today. So in the spirit of, of completeness, um, we'll, we'll start with the basics. And John, what is a PR4 report in California workers' compensation? Well, this is a question that just kind of keeps coming back over and over again at varying directions. And um, I was this weekend, I was detailing a new clinic that's going to become a a rate fast express customer and they have about nine providers. And, you know, we, we brought them all together and we were kind of going over, you know, how work comp works and hitting a lot of the, the bullet points that we hit throughout the podcast, you know, DFR, PR2, and then of course, PR4. Um, and you know, once I get the same question about five times, I think it's, I decide it's time to podcast on it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so, so hopefully we can scale some of, of the, uh, results or the answers to this question, um, across our, our listenership and, um, better understand the PR4, but, but they had an interesting uh, angle on it. It's like, so, so we, we had our discussion, went over the things that I'm going to talk about right now. What is a PR4? Mm. Um, but then they wanted to know, well, how do I have this discussion with the patient? Because, you know, having a PR4 report for some people is a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I totally get that. And that's something that we're going to address later on in the podcast as well. I mean, based off of what, you know, I, I know about what we've discussed in this podcast, anybody that gets a PR4 is a big deal with respect to California workers comp because it's a difficult thing and it does, doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, tell uh, tell me more about the the PR4 report, John. So the PR4 report has has several elements to it. The first thing that I always point out to people is that this is just a summary report, but it's important because it summarizes the entire claim. If you want to go somewhere for the entire roadmap of the claim, you look at the PR4 report. And right. it should be written in a way that outlines to all the stakeholders kind of what the treatment was, what symptoms you left over with, um, and basically, you know, how bad is the injury? What's the value of it? Um, all of these things. But remember, the PR4 report, most importantly, is written when all of the treatment that's allowed or accepted by the patient uh, has been completed. So I always think of DFR as the start of the claim, the PR2 reports, um, the, 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 you know, rechecks that have to be done every 45 days. Those are sort of the workhorses. That's where work is. Um, you know, ordered, treatments ordered, and then the results of treatment are discussed and documented uh, for the stakeholders. But when you get to the end of the road, um, the PR4 has to be written. So this one whole report has to contain all this information, which is a tall order and and can be somewhat daunting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the next important thing that the PR4 report does, rather than in addition to being a complete summary of the claim um, in just a few pages, is that it has to talk about what the loss is and the loss of the individual based on their activities of daily living, things that they used to be able to do and, and now the things they can't. And remember, these are things that um, that that concern them at home and not in the workplace. It's always a little confusing that we use the the ADLs of uh, of the injured worker at home, and we don't really take into account the ADLs at work because everyone's job is so so vastly different. But everyone right. shares the same activities at home. Right. Um, so so we use ADLs, and then we obviously use exam findings and diagnostic tests, and um, and a book called the AMA Guides Fifth Edition in California, and we come up with something called the whole person impairment, and that is a value between zero and a hundred and Zero means that you have no injury or loss, and 100 means that you are basically dependent on others for all of your all of your needs throughout the right. day. Right. And as we learned uh, uh, last month, 100 percent, you know, is a is a entire body thing. So, like losing a limb is not necessarily 100 percent WPI. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being in a coma is 100 percent. Yes. Yes. Um, or or thereabouts. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that it does is it also very importantly sets the permanent work status for the injured worker and the employer. So the report will state if the patient cannot do things and these are things that they can't do on a permanent basis, like they can't lift more than 15 pounds or they can't bend more than 10 times an hour or they can't go up and down stairs anymore. Um, and, and it's very, very important because it's at this point in the claim where the employer uh, has to make a decision if they can retain the injured worker anymore, uh, right. if they can make what's called a reasonable accommodation and start an interactive uh, process in good faith with the injured worker and decide if they can come back. And a lot of injured workers um, don't really understand this, that you know, once this report is written and and the restrictions are written down, you could be released. And, and this is a really scary thing for a lot of injured workers who have had to miss a long time of work or, um, you know, have had to be on temporary disability for two years and, and all these things. So, um, so it's, it's a really big deal. And it's, it's one thing that should not be underplayed with the injured worker um, when, you know, you're writing the report. And I always um, <clears throat> tell patients in advance when we're looking at a PR4, I just, I try not to spring it on them. And, and sometimes I think some providers spring it on that, oh, well, okay, nothing else. We're going to do a PR4 today as yeah. opposed to saying, you know, I'm sorry the therapy didn't work. I'm sorry you still have pain after your surgery and you can't stand more than 30 minutes. But at some point, we're going to have to document all this and figure out how to go forward with the report. And, and if I can see the writing on the wall, I, I have that discussion with them as soon as possible. Even if the specialist is, you know, offering another injection, or the pain management clinic wants to try another medication, I, I try to start resetting their expectations that this PR4 report is coming. We're probably going to be looking at living with these symptoms and, you know, we're going to have to accept them um, one way or another. So the report um, is a big turning point and it, it actually is a gateway to getting the patient out of the active treatment of work comp and then into more of a, a uh, chronic autopilot or management of their injury of their injury. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's better to let them know as soon as possible than to keep them in the dark, you know, uh, yeah. uh, which is, you know, I, I'm very much a 
with that decision. The the PR4 report marks the end of the claim. Everything at this point is now where where it needs to be sort of a, a you know, there's everything before the PR4 report and everything after the PR4 report kind of, kind of scenario. Um, how does a PR4 report change the pattern of injury care and disability payment? Well, that PR4 report, once um, it's written, also includes something called future care. And the future care is where the provider outlines things that are medically reasonable in the future. Maybe they're going to need ongoing prescription of ibuprofen, or maybe they're going to have some pain flares and need 12 visits of physical therapy a year. Or maybe there's going to be some injections or a surgery um, or a revision of a surgery. And and so um, all of this gets outlined uh, in the PR4 report. But once this happens, the injured worker no longer needs to be seen every 45 days. Um, yeah. They can be seen three months. They could be seen at six months. They could be uh, told, um, just come back if you need anything. In general, if you think someone's going to need some future care, um, I personally tend to see them um, at least every three to six months to keep the claim updated. Uh, because uh, there can be problems if you basically say someone needs future care, but you don't see them for five years, mm. and then they try to access care. I've seen a lot of cases have difficulty, even though the report clearly said that they need to have um, future care. I've you know had problems with carriers saying, oh, you know, what well, they didn't need any, and you know, we're just not you know going to going to allow any further treatment, even even though the report said something totally the opposite. That's awful. And um, <laughs> it's really awful. <laughs> And, and so if the patient's having ongoing symptoms, it's always good just to check in with them and tell the patient, you know, why you're going to be doing that. Now, clearly, if you're prescribing medications, you probably need to see them more frequently than that to monitor for side effects and do refills. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. like, yeah, like, like you've said, and we've said in the past, you know, it's a, the PR4 report doesn't necessarily mark the end of the work comp process, you know, but it, it it closes the claim, which is, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a transition. I think if we think yeah. of it as a transition or a new chapter yes. Um, in, yes. in the injury and, and it needs to have sort of a new perspective on what the expectations are. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, who John is responsible for explaining how the work comp process works for patients. I mean, it's been us so many times, but I don't think that every injured worker is listening to this podcast, so we encourage them to. There's some good information here. Um, so currently, you know, who's expected to do that, and who, you know, is there is there training for them? Is there do they get signed? Do they get handed a pamphlet when they show up? Where where is the education coming from? It's an excellent question, and one I wish I had a better answer for, yeah. Corey. The Unfortunately, I think the education comes down to the doctor um, guiding the injured worker through the process. The insurance company, you know, I think maybe they try to do their best, but dealing with insurance companies and these form letters that they generate are very alienated and alienating and confusing to an injured worker who's unrepresented. They don't have an attorney um, and they're just getting these periodic letters on denials or approvals or modifications to their treatment or temporary disability. And, and you know, and, and that's another thing I think that's really poorly explained to patients is that, look, if you can't work, the insurance is going to you know, pay you for your time lost, but the payments don't go on forever. And so there's a limit um, of when those payments time out and or if you have your PR4 um, your temporary disability stops because obviously you now have permanent disability. So 
that's um falls mostly on on the um provider and the patient so the provider is trying to educate the patient on all this and if the provider does not have a good understanding about what this pr4 means and and some of the ramifications down the line the patient certainly isn't going to stand a chance at all um, yeah absolutely yeah and i will say you know the dwc has made some attempts um, and a lot of insurance companies have you know the injured workers handbook of workers comp and and so forth so i think i think some attempts have been made but unfortunately um, most of the most of the handbooks I've looked at, they're just not written in usable language for people. And it's just sort of this weird um, line, I think, that work comp walks between half legal, half medical. And it's really hard to get straight answers on a lot of things, or at least understand them as having straight answers on some of these areas about payment, or what do I do if I can't go back to my job, or what happens to my family, or I can't make my rent payment. I mean, I mean these things come up all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there are a lot of hard stories you have to listen to with people, and, you know, their lives have really been changed. It's, it's true. Um, if you are an injured worker, and you are listening to this by chance, check out our blog uh, at blog.reit-fast.com. Um, we have a couple articles that are called, I think it was help. I was injured at work. Uh, we all, it's also called a worker, a worker's guide to work comp, but I think it's called help. I was injured at work, a worker's comp guide, a worker's guide to worker's comp, something to that effect. Um, we will leave it linked in the show notes. Um, so what does the medical provider need to understand about PR4 reports? Hopefully, hopefully a lot, <laughs> hopefully the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, we, we hope that they do understand this, but the reality is, is that often they don't. Um, yeah. A lot of people um, tend to receive their workers' comp care in like urgent care types of settings. Um, some of them go to clinics that only do work comp, but the issue is, is that there can be a lot of turnover of uh, providers in these practices and that the same provider is not always seeing the same patient. So you get a wide exposure of experience to the providers that are communicating information mm -hmm. to the injured worker. And, um, you know, so, so if that provider <clears throat> is unable to clearly explain to the injured worker what this report event means, there's going to be a lot of miscommunication and there can be a lot of hard feelings. Um, right. I, I've had a lot of patients and dealt with a lot of patients that felt, Hey, you know, I, I was getting my treatment. And then all of a sudden I got a letter from the insurance company that, you know, my claims closed and I can't get treatment anymore, or I don't know what this means, or the office, you know, doesn't do future care treatment. Now I don't have a treater. What do I do? And so all of these things um, come up. So we have to be you know, preparing um, that injured worker for the landing, so to speak, you know, the yeah. plane's coming down, the runway is going to be short. And, you know, what do I do when I get off and I'm in the terminal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I, I, I want to say, I've, you know, I have never myself been through a, a, a worker's comp scenario, but I've been through a lot of scenarios where I've been in the middle of something that I completely don't understand. And the only answer is on the other side of some kind of gatekeeping bureaucratic, you know, nonsense or just just people that are impossible to get a hold of, you know, things like that. And I feel like work comp in a lot of ways is is very similar to that because as we've discussed, oftentimes the only people that will have the answer for you is somewhere behind some sort of long phone wait or something like that. And there's 
seems to be very few people who definitively know all of the answers to everything, you know? So, so if, if you're a physician, it might behoove you to know as much as possible and to communicate as much as possible to the patient, just if nothing else, you know, for their, for their peace of mind, you know, think things that they can know so that when, you know, the questions come up, oh, they know, okay, at least maybe I can ask my doctor if it's something that I haven't already asked them that they'll, you know, they might know or something like that. You know, it's, it's very important just from their perspective, I believe. Well, you know, and, and the doctors are expected to have all the answers. And to be honest, sometimes they don't. Right, um, right, right. But this was interesting. A friend of mine's a pharmacist. And he said, you know, the, the patients come up and expect the pharmacist to know everything, not only about their health, but about drugs, but about the drug store. And uh, he even had people like asking him the best place to bring their car to have the brakes done. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. the expectations can be vast um, <laughs> for yeah. For, for the doctors um, trying to explain this to, yeah. to the workers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why might talking about PR4 reports with an injured worker be difficult? Well, you know, as physicians, we're supposed to be patient advocates. You know, we work in a system that's supposed to be, you know, uh, moving things forward equally for the employers, the insurance company, and the injured worker. But um, at the end of the day, you know, physicians are advocates for the patients. Mm-hmm. And we we want, you know, to make the best recommendations, we want the best outcomes, we want people to get better. Um, but unfortunately, that's not always possible. And having these discussions, and telling a patient, you may not get much better than this for the foreseeable future. I don't know when your back pain is going to go away, or if it will go away, or maybe it's going to get worse. I, I don't know this. And it's really hard to to tell someone that. And you know, they were kind of hoping they would get better the whole time and they didn't. Um, the next medication might work, the next injection, the surgery might make me better. And it just does, doesn't work out that way. And having to break that news, if you will, um, it's really difficult for a provider to say, look, there's nothing more I can do right now. This yeah. is it. And, and it's scary because maybe the patient has been a little bit in denial. Maybe the provider has been a little bit in denial um, about, you know, the day coming for PR4, but it definitely is the day of reckoning um, for the claim. And there has to be some acceptance around it to a certain extent. Um, And both the doctor and the patient have to be able to see eye to eye and to look forward to, okay, what's the next chapter? You know, where do I go from here? Yeah. I mean, that's, you, you get into the job to help people and, and that, that comes along, it does come along with a lot of hard truths. And I imagine as with any job that, that helps people in general, you know, the, delivering news or delivering news that you don't have, you know, I don't know when these things are getting better, you know, it can be a yeah. very difficult thing, but it's a you difficult know, it's, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I respect doctors so much. You know, it's it's things that I, it's just very admirable qualities in people. So, you know, what if the patient is unhappy with the PR4 outcome? Well, this happens from time to time. <clears throat> um, some of it can be avoided by, like I said earlier, preparing the patient for what this PR4 report is, um, you know, what it means for their payments, what it means for their work status, um, uh, you know, what a settlement, you know, is um, all of these things. And, and despite that, people are still unhappy. Um, sometimes there's an element of denial. Sometimes it's an education piece that wasn't done. 
Um, sometimes, to be honest, they just did not have a good experience with the clinic or the doctor that was treating them and never really had a great therapeutic bond um, and just really didn't feel like they were very well respected or that the treatment, you know, offered was, you know, appropriate or adequate. Or There, there can be all these different undertones going on. But I always tell the patient, um, you know, that, that we've done the best we can um, yeah. based on the available treatment we were able to get um, based on everything I know, you know, about, you know, writing up this report. And for some reason, um, patients in some ways are a little bit like adjusters. Um, they don't really have a strong grasp on impairment rating and what the value means. And so sometimes uh, they, they have a sort of this, this preconceived number that, oh, you know, my number should be more than 50 or it should yeah. be 75% whole person because I'm hurting, you know, everywhere all the time. And, and they, yeah, they were yeah. never really told what WPI is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So they come up with, with sort of this, you know, um, self-procured kind of impairment value that they think they should have. And, and I'm including the adjusters in this discussion too, because the adjusters are some, sometimes the opposite. Oh, if this low back is over 13%, clearly the doctor, you know, did the report wrong and I have to get a QME, you know, and, and stuff. So right. it all depends on your perspective. But when the patient's unhappy with the PR4, they need to understand that, look, you can, you can contact um, the insurance adjuster. You don't have an attorney um, in this particular case that we're talking about. And you can go get a QME and the QME can, um, you know, do their own history, do their own physical exam, and you can see, you know, what numbers they come up. Could be higher, could be lower, could be identical. Yeah. But, you know, I'm writing this report based on what you've told me today and, you know, the information I have in front of me. So so I always try to let them know that, um, you know, hey, you know, you've there's always an appeal process. You can go get it checked out. And um, if you're unhappy with it, you know, I'm sorry. I try to sit down. I try to explain to them if there's a uh, like a detail, you know, say, Hey, look, the book has, you know, this particular table and this is the value. And here's why you meet the criteria for this particular category. So I try to put as much education in there. Sometimes the people are really unhappy. They're really not ready to receive, um, education on it. And mm -hmm. that's an unfortunate outcome, but usually, you know, people want to understand better about, you know, why they were given the values they were and, you know, how it's going to affect, uh, their settlement. Yeah. I'm 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 bookending uh each word with a with a hand clapping emoji. Communication is key. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, that's what we uh that's what we believe and uh you know try try to put forth ourselves, you know. So John, you mentioned, you know, if the patient is unhappy with the outcome, then they could get an attorney. What if the patient wants to get an attorney? Yeah, and and interestingly enough, this can this came up with a discussion with the clinic I was detailing yesterday as well. You know, how do we talk about attorneys? Um, you know, attorneys are are very common in workers' comp. They're very common in catastrophic injuries um, and long term injuries, or injuries where the injured worker and the doctor have had great difficulty getting treatment. Yeah, a lot of denials and and all these things. Um, so the first thing that I impressed upon the providers is that, you know, we're not attorneys. We don't give legal advice. We can't, and we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be going into a room and saying, you know, you need to get an attorney at this point. You know, yeah. I think get an attorney. Um, what, what we really need to do is we need to know where to steer that question. 
And we, we need to be very clear that we're providing the medical services of the work injury and we're not providing, you know, legal counseling. Yeah. So, no, so no. <clears throat> California is set up to have something called the division of workers comp DEU, the disability evaluation unit, of which I think there are 17 throughout the state and they're sort of sprinkled around the state and they serve as outposts, if you will, for the um, division of workers comp that's centered in Oakland. And these are outposts and they usually have um, a court associated with it. So they're in some type of county seat um, and and they have uh, people trained to answer questions for unrepresented people. So if you're an injured worker and um, you know something's wrong, you have a complaint about the care, um, you're wondering if you should have an attorney, you can go talk to the state. And that's really where those questions belong for unrepresented injured workers. So I always tell them, you know, if you think you, you need to have an attorney, um, you know, you need to go and talk. You can, you're free to talk to an attorney. Um, you're free to go talk to the state. The state keeps a list of attorneys that are trained in workers' compensation. They specialize in it and they can give you that list. Um, they don't advertise for one attorney more than another. They'll just give you a list with a bunch of phone numbers on it. Um, and, and, you know, that's really the best way to, to tell them, say it's very complicated. You know, I can't give you legal advice, yeah. but when people have questions like this, I send them to the disability evaluation unit. Now, the other thing um, that I get frequently is a patient coming in and said, uh, well, I, I heard um, the attorney, Mr. Smith, is really good in town. Should I use him? That's another common question. Um, and if you do work comp long enough, you tend to you know, get familiar with, with most of the applicant attorneys in your area. Yeah. And rather than, than saying, yes, that's a good attorney, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll usually say, you know, the patients that I've had that have worked with Mr. Smith um, have liked it. It's been a good experience for the, them. The gentle rub, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, us, or, us, those who work in, in business know all about that. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or sometimes be, because I want to be honest with them, I say, well, um, the patients that have worked uh, with Mr. Wilson have a good experience, but his office has a hard time getting back to them. That's what they've told me. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The communication. And I, and I usually say, it's very important, like anything else, if you are going to become represented, that you feel comfortable that you can communicate well with the office. So, yep. you know, read some reviews. If you have friends that have been hurt, talk to them, find out what their experience is. Because the number one complaint I get as a doctor is that they sign up with an attorney. The attorney is really working with them early on in the claim. And then at like six months, eight months, they can't get a call back. They have to stop by the office. They have to leave written notes. And that's probably, I would say, one of the biggest complaints um, on the whole attorney thing mm. is that as the claims go longer and longer, it just gets harder to communicate. And you can listen to our work comp uh, podcast on the gates of hell. Yes. Um, everything can be referenced back to the gates of hell. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the primordial so, serpent is is the the root cause of the you know the work called perils <laughs> that we go through. So, um, but yeah, getting back to the topic at hand, you know, it, it, it's basically just common sense communication, regardless of what relationship you're in, regardless of you're at the grocery store, you're at the hardware store, or you're with your doctor or your attorney. It's all about access 
getting um, responses and, you know, feeling like something's being done in your favor. So um, getting an attorney and being satisfied is no different. Right, right. So we've, uh, we've talked about what a PR4 report is. We've talked about how the PR4 report changes the pattern uh, of injury and disability payments. We've talked about uh, who's responsible, who should be responsible for explaining how the work comp pod, uh, process works for, for patients. Uh, we've talked about what the medical provider needs to understand for PR4 reports. We've talked about why speaking with an injured worker might be difficult uh, about PR4 reports. We've talked about what if the patient is unhappy with the outcome. And, you know, lastly, we just closed up with what if the patient, you know, what the patient needs to know if they want to get an attorney. So, you know, that it's a pretty comprehensive, not it's it's a it's a pretty nice view of, of overview of what what a patient should should, you know, do and, and what physicians should kind of have in mind when they're working with their patients regarding the PR4 reports and everything. Are there any final words you want to say on the matter, John? Well, we always like to bring it back to accuracy, consistency, and a solid PR4 report. I mean, that's really what we do, and that's become one of my you know, professional focuses here is yes. to, to – to, it's the mission. It's my mission in workers' compensation to get as many accurate reports out into the marketplace as possible because it's such a very critical piece of workers' compensation and – closing cases and getting settlement and closure. I mean, that's really what work comp has to be about. Um, and if you have a solid PR4 report and you're as certain as possible that the value you're discussing with the patient is the correct one and it's the accurate one, that is the biggest service you can do for the injured worker at the end of the day because they know what their settlement is. They know what their real settlement value should be. They know why it's based on that because you've written a report. It's talked about ADLs. It's talked about your exam findings. It's referenced the appropriate parts of the AMA Guides 5th edition. Mm -hmm. And you've done the best job that you can. You, you want to come across that finish line with the best services deliverable. And having that report um, is the way to do it. So whether you use Rate Fast Express or not to accomplish that, as long as you accomplish that goal, you've done your role in the system as a medical provider. And you know we're here to help you. And regarding regarding the that you mentioned your your mission, John, um, I don't know if I'm at the liberty to uh, recommend patients directly to you, but I can tell you. I've seen uh, some very happy patients working with you. Yeah, well, we work hard and we you know, want that um, reputation to go on and to continue to build on it. But um, it's always great to hear that. And, yeah. uh, you know, myself and my staff work very hard to, uh, you know, maintain that credibility and reputation. Well, thank, thanks again for, for, you know, the conversation today and, and the hard work and everything. We appreciate it. So have, have a great one, John. We'll do more later. See you, Corey. Thanks for listening. For more information on informing workers' comp patients about PR4 reports, visit our blog at blog.rate-fast.com and visit rate-fast.com to try RateFast Express, the service that writes your workers' comp impairment reports for you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.